are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. College football back in full force, and we've got a full-fledged show for you guys planned out today on the Thursday edition of On the Line. But before we get into it, Lance, how you doing, man? Football is back. And it feels good. I could not be any better, Noah. Just incredibly excited and hyped that we get some some legitimate college football tonight. It's not like we haven't had some legitimate, legitimate college football, obviously, last weekend and then last night, UAB, Jacksonville State. It's just, it's just great to be back in the swing of things, man. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you, we'll talk to you about it. A lot of great topics planned out today taking a look at tonight's ball games as well as continuing to prep you for the weekend as Auburn opens up their regular season against Akron Alabama opening up against Miami and a ton of other great games on tap for Saturday's begin beginning to the college football season but we're going to open up today's show talking about that Auburn Akron game and you and I have bounced around a lot of different topics yesterday we did our scouting report on the Akron Zips our report Wednesday today let's get into this season opener a little bit we we, I feel like we have drained so much out of this game I, I feel like it was like a full sponge coming into this week and now we have we have drained all of the the content out of it and it's almost game time what has to happen on Thursday, or excuse me, here on this Thursday, what has to happen on Saturday for you to consider it a success? Well, I've got three things in particular that I'm going to be looking at, Noah, but as far as just like an overarching theme of of success from Auburn this Saturday, I'm just looking for consistency on both sides of the ball. I'm not looking for one area in particular to stand out in terms of like, oh, that's something blatant that Auburn needs to fix, or oh, that's something blatant that Auburn is really, really good at. I just expect Auburn to go out there and be consistent in every single phase of the game, because as we broke down on yesterday's show, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get the pod your podcast on the line. We broke down the Akron Zips and some of the things that they like to do schematically, but as far as what I'm looking for just overall I'm looking for Auburn to just look like the better football team but in terms of the three specific things that I'm looking at there's one thing to start off the top that I'm looking at and I want to ask you if you agree with this 65 percent completion completion percentage from the quarterback position not just Knicks but also whoever else gets out there as well as a whole at the end of the day do you think that's reasonable I think it's reasonable but I am concerned whether or not Auburn can actually hit that I don't know what to expect from TJ Finley yet and of course I believe we'll get to see him have several drives maybe even more than several drives on Saturday I I would like to see Bo Nix play for two and a half quarters maybe even upwards of three and I think the spring game was an indication possibly of how the quarterback position may be used going into this first game against Akron because if you'll remember in the spring game Bo Nix played for a very long time much longer than you'd expect an incumbent starting quarterback to be playing in a spring game so I wonder if that trend continues going into this first game against Akron 
But then again, TJ Finley wasn't on the roster at the time. TJ Finley wasn't a part of this football team. Was it was it taking snaps in the spring game at that point? We didn't get to see him. That wasn't an option. Now there may be a legitimate contender for this starting position at some point this year if Bo Nix isn't firing on all cylinders. So I think you'll get to see a decent amount of TJ Finley. And honestly, I just don't know what to expect because as you guys have heard time and time again on this program, I'm not super pumped up when I watched TJ Finley film at LSU. And I thought he had excellent receivers there between Terrence Ferguson and also Kayshawn Boutte. And then, of course, Eric Gilbert was also on that team. And then the offensive line I thought was a little bit better. There was just better skill position players there at LSU last year and I, and I was a little underwhelmed with some of that film from TJ Finley a year ago but with that being said maybe it just wasn't a fit for him in the Bayou so maybe maybe Auburn's a little bit better of a fit for him maybe he's taking development forward once again he was a freshman last year and that was his first action and he played against some really tough teams too I mean he was playing against Texas A&M he was playing against Alabama he was playing against good programs and good defenses so I, you have to cut up a little bit of slack 65 percent Man, we've been looking at sub-60% quarterbacks for so long that I kind of get to the point now where I'm like, 65% seems very high. But that that I don't want to say that's pedestrian numbers, but that, that's rather above average in today's day and age. You, you see much higher completion percentages at the top of college football in the SEC than you typically than you typically uh, have been looking at from Auburn. And what you're saying about, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to speculate because you don't know what these quarterbacks are going to look like. It's kind of been our theme throughout the offseason, right? Like we just need to see this team actually take the field in order to gauge where they are offensively. I will say, though, just based on what I've heard about, like how, you know, this oh, this passing offense is going to be more efficient. It's going to do these things, going to do these things. It's going to be awesome. You know, I would expect out of a third year quarterback in the SEC for him to go out there, complete over 65 percent of his passes in the backup TJ Finley once he gets his drives I think this passing offense is going to be efficient and you th- you talk about how bad this Akron team is in defending anything period gave up over 41 points a game last season Auburn should be able to get to that clip I, I believe they can and like you said 65 percent isn't anything special but Auburn's been hitting under 60 uh, for a couple years now under Knicks I'm expecting him to take take that next step specifically in this game and I will he finished at 65 percent on the year I don't know but in this game he he and the quarterback room I think should get there it, it, it definitely other programs you would see like if Tyler Johnston last night in a game where you and I went into this thinking that Jacksonville State could have put up a fight there and, and they did for about a quarter of a quarter and a half we thought those teams were much closer aligned than Auburn and Akron and Tyler Johnston goes 17 for 21 for 320 yards so it should be believable that an Auburn quarterback should be able to do that. We've just been submitted for so long to below average completion percentages from these quarterbacks. I will say that they clear it. I, in games like these, Bo Nix typically plays very well. Of course, go figure, most guys would play well against a team like Akron or an Alabama State or whatnot. So I'll say that he clears it at 65%. I'll say the entire room has a completion percentage higher than 65%. Is that like your threshold to say that these quarterbacks the, that these quarterbacks had a successful Saturday? I think that's one of the things that you should look at as far as the quarterback room. Now obviously yards and touchdowns, you know, I'd like to see at least 200 yards or 250 yards out of the room collectively. I'd like to see a couple of touchdowns. I don't want to see turnovers, you know, all your basic stuff, but in terms of like success I would feel really, really happy if I knew that these quarterbacks were were efficient in this more efficient offense. My second thing that I'm going to be looking at is Auburn's third down conversion percent 
uh, allowed on defense. It needs to be 38% or less. Akron should not convert a third down thir- more than 38% of the time on Saturday. Why I even I, think that's a little high. Why do I say 38%? Because that is the threshold last season for getting in the top 50 in terms of third down conversion uh, percentage. Auburn was 121st in the country at 50.3%. I think in this game, Auburn needs to control third down and they need to get off the field. And I think 38% is fair. I'm going to up it a little bit. I'm going to say that it it needs to be far... It needs to be far worse of a conversion percentage on third down for Akron. And my reasoning for that is, I know I understand what you're doing there from a statistical standpoint. You're baselining at top 50 because you want Auburn to make a substantial jump and at least be in that you know above average range in college football in terms of third down defense. But when all of it averages out at the end of the year, if you're just above average top 50 style percentage against an Akron, you're going to be much worse against the better teams on the schedule that have much more competent offenses. So I would lower that. I, I, I would say, you know, on third down, 30, Akron maybe doesn't... 35% to get in the top 25? You think oh, that's I would fair? drop 30? it even more. 30? I'd drop it even more. I'd say, look, two or three third down conversions at most on Saturday for Akron. Okay. No more. And that's right. that's doable because think about it if Akron is put into you know 12 third down percentage uh 12 third down situations right only getting three of those like I, th- I think that I think that that's possible and that would be 25 percent do you want to guess who had the second best third down conversion percentage in the entire country last season who second best Boise State okay let's let's expect that let's expect that know how to get off the field yeah let's expect that number to drop at auburn what's your third point my third thing that i'm going to be looking at is at least two turnovers forced by this auburn defense this auburn uh, akron offense is bad offensive line's horrible offensive line is horrible the receivers are just not going to be able to stretch the field i don't think in any capacity now we talked a little bit yesterday about how you pointed out the fact that cato nelson is actually a pretty good deep ball thrower at least according to pro football focus but i don't think they're ever going to get there i think the secondary should feed I think they get a couple of picks, maybe a fumble. I'm saying two turnovers at least. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What has to happen on Saturday for you to consider it a success? I have one point for you, Lance, just one. Mine is going to be broad, overarching, sweeping across this entire game, What has to happen on Saturday for me to consider it a success for Auburn is complete, utter domination in all facets of play. And that is not hyperbole. That is not an overreaction. I think Auburn should expect to completely, utterly dominate every single facet of play against Akron on Saturday. I almost said UAB. Georgia plays UAB in a couple of weeks. That's gonna be a high game. <laughs> hey, hey, if if if, if Georgia Maybe a blowout. Yeah, if Georgia loses, all right, UAB will feel pretty good heading into that game, and then they'll lose by fifty. But I mean, it'll be a fun matchup for about a quarter. But going back to this point, I think Auburn should expect it, it for me to consider this a success. I think Auburn should go out there and absolutely dominate Akron. So uh, I don't I don't think we're gonna be doing score predictions today. But are you calling for a potential shutout? Is that is that what you're calling for? Is Auburn to just completely? I think it's dominate? definitely on the books. And I've heard Zach talking about this recently. I actually think I heard him talking about this on the Max Roundtable, the program that's on before us here on ESPN 106.7 from 11 to 2. I remember hearing him talk about this matchup earlier in the week when they had him on, and Zach was saying, look, you want to see that shutout preserved, but oftentimes when the backups get into a ball game, what is that focus level like? Are they 
upholding the same pride to put a goose egg on the scoreboard and when I look at the Auburn defense even to the two deep like what we heard about Roe Torrance at cornerback all throughout fall camp is that this dude was feasting he jumped Dreshawn Miller the best cornerback on West Virginia last year who statistically had the best secondary in college football last season did they really have the best secondary in college football last year no but statistically in a passing conference they were number one in the nation in pass yards allowed per game they were that good and this juco cornerback steps onto the field and takes this man's presumed job what we all thought would have been at least he at least would have been on the two deep snatches it right out from underneath him right like there's a lot of quality like that's just one example there's a lot of quality on this two deep and those guys will get to play a significant portion of the time against Akron and I still think that there's a lot of competition as well on the two and three deep on Auburn's depth chart like Dreshawn Miller needs to have a great game against Akron to try and earn more playing time to move up the depth chart right like there are still position battles going on down the depth chart with guys trying to climb more so on defense than on offense I think the offense is is not nearly as deep as Auburn is on the defensive side of the football and because of that competition I think this defense is going to come out there the second team the third string is going to come out there with a lot of pride a lot of focus and a lot of intensity looking to uphold a shutout I am going to call for it I'm going to say a shutout on Saturday. Do you expect one player in particular to kind of be like the determining factor in that? Like, oh, Owen Papo looked really good or, oh, Smoke Monday got two interceptions. Or do you believe this is going to be a collective thing? Collective. There's not a single spot on this defense that you can point to that Akron has an advantage. And so Auburn should expect to, once again, utterly dominate in every single phase of the game. If somehow Auburn's punting, I expect Auburn to be the best punting team on this field against Akron, right? If Auburn's returning kicks, I expect Auburn to be better than Akron at returning kicks. I don't care what it is. They could be out there playing checkers. I expect Auburn to dominate in every single facet of this football game. And, I mean, that's because Akron is that bad. This is one of the things that I almost threw out there. You know, Donovan Kaufman in his two or three games with Vanderbilt, he had a kickoff return for a touchdown. I almost called, in order for for me to call this game a success, a huge special teams play. And I'm not necessarily talking touchdown from Donovan Kaufman, but I I think that's very much so on the table. Sure. I'd like to see Auburn return a kick. That would be great. <laughs> Haven't seen that in a little while, I feel like. It's been it's been a quite, I believe. Last year, I think one got called back, maybe. Yeah, I believe uh, the Outback Bowl against Minnesota is the last time it happened. Might be wrong on that, but yeah. Let's switch gears now to another game happening this weekend in the SEC. I want to ask you this question. Who needs the win more, Georgia or Clemson? I was listening to a podcast recently. I was listening to... ESPN's college football podcast that they've recently started and this question was brought up between Reese Davis and David Pollock and of course we all know David Pollock's allegiance to the Georgia Bulldogs and of course he's bullish on Georgia I think he's got him winning the national championship this upcoming year and his preseason predictions he like me is expecting Georgia to win this football game it, it maybe expecting is a little bit too strong of a word but I would say predicting Georgia to win this football game but who needs the win more, Georgia or Clemson? I'm going to say that Georgia needs the win just a little bit more because you talk about the trajectory of these two teams after this game. You look at their schedule. Clemson, obviously, 
facing a much easier schedule, has a lot more opportunity to go out there and win and make it to their conference title game. Georgia, on the other hand, I feel like has a couple of bumps in the road. Obviously, you look at Auburn, you look at Florida, and then once you get to that SEC championship game, it's a lot tougher to beat Alabama than it is to beat a North Carolina or a, Mi or a Miami. So in terms of what Georgia needs in this game, like compared to what Clemson does, I think they need this win a, a lot more because they can't afford another another loss. And it's a lot more likely in my mind for Georgia to take another loss in the regular season or in the title game, conference championship game that is. Took the thoughts right out of my brain. Georgia loses this ball game. It's very possible for them to lose to a Florida, to an Auburn, someone else on their schedule, like you pointed out in the regular season. But say they go undefeated because I think Georgia should be favored in all of their other remaining regular season games you get to the sec title game whoever comes out of the west if you don't want to say that alabama's coming out of the west fine but whoever wins the west undeniably every single football season if auburn makes it out of the west what happened when they were a two loss team they were ranked number two in the country at that time going into that sec title game or, or at least they were ranked higher than georgia going into that game right and then you you take a look at if it's alabama they are always in national championship playoff contention when they win the west if it's not alabama whoever comes out of the west is very good because they beat alabama right they they, they had to go through a much tougher stretch of ball games than georgia did and they're a real legitimate contender so there's a much greater chance for Georgia to lose in the SEC championship game than maybe Clemson, who even if they lose this game to Georgia, and it may be by a field goal, right? You're still not internally questioning unless Saturday's an absolute disaster for Clemson. I don't think you're really questioning that Clemson is the best team of the ACC. Now, that's because I'm not expecting Miami to beat Alabama. I think the North Carolina game against Virginia Tech has potential to be relatively close as well, especially when you look at the line. So, Sure, maybe something could happen on Saturday that complete, completely shakes up the college football world and our perceptions, but if things go to plan outside of this Clemson-Georgia game, you still feel confident that Clemson is going to win the ACC. That doesn't change. So I think things are a little bit more dire for Georgia if they were to lose this game. Yeah, the path to the playoff for Clemson after this game, if they lost, I feel is a little bit more easier than Georgia's. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. And when we come back, we break down last night's victory for the UAB Blazers over the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. 31-0 win for the Blazers. We take a look at the pros and cons from that ball game for the Blazers. Are they a potential Conference USA back-to-back -back champs? We take a look at last night's first game of week one of the college football season. When we come back, you're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with the on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Just talked about what has to happen on Saturday for you to consider it a success for Auburn after week one against Dacker. We're going to head to the phone lines now. Once again, number to call, 334-321-1390. Travis joining us on this fine Thursday afternoon. Travis, how's it going, my man? Happy game week, guys, and War Eagle. That's right, War Eagle to you as well. Only a couple games away, or a couple days away, I should say. Yeah, a couple games too, though, when you talk about tonight's slate. Yes, sir. Finally here. We've been waiting long, a long time for this one. But, uh, you know, I told you I was going to call, call in and give you my predictions. Uh, I think that the, the defense against Akron uh, comes out aggressive. I think we get two first-half turnovers. I'm going to predict the Kobe uh, recovers a fumble, and uh, Donovan Kaufman records his first interception as an Auburn Tiger. 
And, uh, you know, offensively, I look for uh, I look for, for Harson and Bobo to rely on the ground and pound early in the game and try to open things up for Bo. Um, you know, make it easier for him to, to stretch the field vertically. I think that's something that not only the fans, us, you know, the fans want to see, I think that's something that the coaches want to see too. And they want to see, they want to prove it to Bo and they want confidence in him and they want him to have confidence in himself, you know, so, so he can, so he can see the, you know, stepping up in the pocket and throwing the ball and seeing the receivers catch it downfield. There's not, there's not a bigger confidence builder than you throwing the ball 50, 50 55 yards in the air and a dude catching it in stride and running in for a touchdown. And that's exactly what we need to see. Uh, you know, my score prediction, I'm going to say I'm gonna say 48-13 Auburn. I think the starting defense gives up six points, two field goals. Um, but the, uh, the the second string gives up a touchdown for Akron to get the backdoor cover. I don't see him covering the 37. Hey, that I, I'll be a little disappointed if Akron scores 13. Because I, I think, and as I was talking about in the previous segment, I think that there's a lot of competition still down on the depth chart and a lot of talent still on the defensive depth chart past the two deep. Like, Dreshawn Miller's third string, you know? like right. So I think that there's still so much competition happening down the depth chart that maybe some of these backups that want to play more, they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, possibly. So I'm hoping that they don't score 13. If, if Auburn's defense gives up 13 against this offense that we recently just found out, I actually just saw this on Twitter um apparently their star player at running back Tion Dollard no longer on the Akron football roster so now uh now they're missing like their only guy <laughs> so I will right. be a little disappointed with 13 but I, I I'm with you 36 and a half 37 points is a hard line to cover yeah and, and you know what another thing I'm looking for is, is I mean everybody knows that the talent disparity between Auburn and a team like Akron and no disrespect to them at all but, you know, I mean, Auburn can line the ball up and run it 50, 60 times in this game, and there's nothing that Akron's going to do about it. You know, the strength of Auburn's offensive line is the, the run game, and they have a, an All-American running back in Tane Biggs. We all know that. I want to I see Bo get some time. Like I was talking about with those receivers, you got young, you got a lot of inexperience on the edges, and, uh, and you know, you got a quarterback that's lacking in confidence. And this is third year starting and he's still lacking confidence, what better way than to come out firing and, and just and just give him some easy throws first, you know, maybe some RPO slants, and then really try to push the ball down the seams and down the edges of the field, down the numbers, and try to get him to complete some passes, you know, over 40 yards in the air. I think that's what they have to do. And, I mean, I'm all for sportsmanship, but at the same time, I still see, you know, that nittany line on the schedule in week three. It's only three weeks away now. I mean, the time's getting short on that, and I, I'm a big believer in, you know, you got to use these two games, these first two games as scrimmages. And so, I mean, even if Auburn's up 35 to nothing, 35 to three, I think that you still have to work some passes in there. And even if you want to get TJ, if you want to get him some playing time, I think he has to come in and throw the ball nine or ten times. I don't yeah. think you can just run the ball – and, and and you know expect to get better offensively as an entire group yeah I agree 100 percent with that I've been hammering that home for a little bit now I, I I would like to see Auburn maybe I don't think it's going to happen this way but it would be great to see the pass run split be 50 50 if not a little bit right. in favor of the passing game they got to work on it yeah and they, you know you talked about sportsmanship there at least Akron gets paid you know like if you're going to take the blowout at least get the bag <laughs> All right, guys, man. We'll, we'll talk to y'all next week. Worry, good boys.
Appreciate it, Travis. War Eagle to you as well. Travis, there on the line with us. If you want to join the show, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you're on the go and you want to send us a quick message, once again, the text line at 334-564-1840. We welcome all of your predictions as well. Whatever you've got for us, tell us about it. Score prediction. We've been talking about a variety of issues. Does Akron hit 200 yards on the ground? Or not on the ground, just purely on offense total. Do they hit 200 yards? I I don't think that they do. I'm calling for the shutout. I think the Sauber defense comes in with a massive chip on its shoulder and uh, beats them down completely. Once again, I go back to, from a sportsmanship standpoint, at least they get paid. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this about Travis's call. We really appreciate it. And I made sure to write it down as score prediction. We'll come back to him on Monday. If anybody wants to call in and give their score prediction, we'll write it down and we'll come back to him and see who got closest. But something that he said that I thought was interesting was he was talking about, you know, if Auburn wants to get better at throwing the football they should work on it in games where they can throw the football right and they should go out there and they should try and dominate in that type of way I feel like I've heard that quite a few times as an Auburn fan you go back during the Gus Malzahn era it feels like so many different times it's like man we should be getting quarterback x more reps and we should get him throwing the ball in these games where he can afford to throw the ball because he knows Auburn's going to win. Go out there and pass it a little bit. Like Travis said, if TJ Finley comes in, throw it a few times. Nine or ten times, Travis said, yeah, I think anywhere between five and ten is reasonable. Get him out there, get him throwing, get this offense comfortable, because like he said, Penn State's only three weeks away. It's actually, we're we're counting down right now to that game, and you just got to treat this and Alabama State like a couple of scrimmages. Running the football does you no good because i mean i mean of course sure if something doesn't go right there you can at least work on something film related but you know that running the ball is going to be your strength it's still go out there and run the ball enough to keep the defense honest of course but more importantly it, it, perfection is not going to be achieved passing the football against akron or alabama state now should it be handled easily if you've seen development from these quarterbacks if the if the passing game is being brought up uh is being you know developed properly like if you are seeing development in the passing game on this side of the ball for Auburn like it it should not be difficult for Auburn to move the ball that way if Auburn struggles to move the ball through the air then I have major concerns moving forward for the rest of this season but it's a football game not everything's going to go right not everything's going to go perfect like I said yesterday and you at least need to put enough on tape for you to be able to work on it like right like you have to at least put enough on film from a passing standpoint to say all right this is some things that we need to improve upon before we get to the Penn State game the Penn State game is not where you need to be working on you know on the fly you need to be working on developing your passing game you need to be ready for the Penn State game and the only way you get ready is if you toss it around the yard through these first two games yeah absolutely again if you all want to give your score predictions you can call us or you can text us on our text line 334-564-1840 really want to compile a list of y'all score predictions if you're out there listening right now so that we can go back to uh, and break them down on Monday Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Only a few seconds left here in our second segment of the show. Once again, we're taking your calls, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. When we come back, we take a look at that UAB-Jacksonville State game last night, 31-0 win for the UAB Blazers. We're taking your calls here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back in just a few moments. 
back on On the Line 30 minutes into the Thursday edition of the show. Phone lines are open. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you're on the go and you want to send us a quick message, that's how you can reach out to us. Find us on Twitter as well, at Point Gardner, at Daw Pound. Just heard from Travis on the phone line, giving us predictions for this weekend's game against Akron. If you want to give us a prediction as well, once again, don't be afraid. Call in, text us as well. UAB last night topped Jacksonville State 31-0. to about a quarter and a half, a little bit more than a quarter and a half through the ball game. You and I were texting Lance alongside intern Sting as well. We were all texting each other thinking, man, UAB covering this game, it's on the rocks. And then when they finally broke through, well, they didn't look back and they threw up 31 points on Jacksonville State, shut them out as well. An utterly dominant defensive effort. If UAB can hold Jacksonville State to zero points, and their stud of a quarterback, Zarek Cooper, if they can hold him to just 84 passing yards and 2.5 yards per pass attempt, uh, I think Auburn can shut down Akron. Yeah, absolutely. And when when you look at this game, uh, you and I were obviously talking about it last night. Uh, we, I, I midway through the the second quarter, I was like, I'm in shambles right now. Like I expected this UAB offense to at least put something on the board early on, and they just couldn't get it going. There was a fumble early. Uh, the the teams went back and forth, but man, UAB eventually just opened it up, and it was it was a it was a pretty balanced effort, I would say. I mean, they would use the run to get to the outside. It's one of the one of the things that you and I noticed Noah early on is they had really a really tough time running the ball between the tackles and so they started moving the ball outside uh outside the numbers there and they were working it on sweeps and it really started to the offense really started to take off and build some momentum and then Tyler Johnston man did he look good he started opening up the passing game I believe he had a completion two completions on their first scoring drive of over 30 and 40 yards I mean it was just chunk play after chunk play and then it was a sweep on the touchdown and they did not look back after that I mean an incredibly dominant defensive performance like you mentioned only holding Zarek Cooper to 84 passing yards 88 excuse me 88 uh but this this big this, difference this this, this yeah, huge difference this this team this UAB team I said yesterday I don't think it's going to be a blowout but Jacksonville State just does not match up well with what UAB likes to do and I think they cover but it won't be by a lot well as it turns out they they did not match up well uh Jacksonville State did not with UAB and it turned out to be a lot worse than I would have anticipated so 31 to nothing the final score I am more impressed with UAB here than disappointed with Jacksonville State I still think Jacksonville State is going to be a very good FCS football team this year and I actually believe Jacksonville State if I remember correctly aren't they taking on Florida State next they are they're going on yes. the road to Florida State on September 11th in week two that game will be on ACC Network a night game in Tallahassee so brutal start to your regular season but after that they get the Atlantic Sun schedule going against North Alabama arrival there and then they get into the thick of their schedule UT Martin Kennesaw State Stephen F Austin amongst a lot of other teams here I think Jacksonville State once they get back to FCS play they're still going to be a very good football team at that level the positive that I saw from Jacksonville State in the ball game I thought they handled UAB's rushing attack very well UAB finished the day with only four yards per carry 
147 yards total but once again the fact that they had to move the ball out on the perimeter late in the second quarter to finally begin to get first downs and actually generate a rushing attack the fact that UAB couldn't just go right over Jacksonville State up the middle and move the ball just on strength alone I told you these two teams recruit similarly they they recruit the same players or the same caliber of player in the state of Alabama they cross paths often these coaching staffs if you watched the broadcast last night you know about the connection between coach Gross at Jacksonville State and then coach Clark at UAB these two programs very familiar with each other and I expected in the trenches a competitive game on both sides of the ball at the end of the day I thought UAB would be able to do more from a defensive standpoint against Jacksonville State and and being able to run the football which is what unfolded last night but I was shocked at how well Jacksonville State handled UAB's rushing attack in between the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, this is not a knock on either program necessarily, but for you not to be able to kind of establish, like you said, that inside running game against an FCS school in Jacksonville State. And I know they're good. I know they're talented. Like you said, they recruit very similarly. But if you're UAB, traditionally under Bill Clark over the past three, past three or four seasons, that's what you've done so well is just run the ball inside for you not to be able to get it done against Jack State is a little concerning, but this offense still was firing on all cylinders when you look at the end of the day. I still go back to, though, what I said to open up was that I am more impressed with UAB than I am disappointed in Jacksonville State, and I'm not really disappointed in UAB's rushing attack for this game. Jacksonville State, one of the strengths of their program is that front seven, is stopping the run. I expected UAB maybe to run the ball a little bit more effectively once again, but I think that that will progress as the season goes on. So I don't think that's time to worry for UAB. It was just game one, and they did find other ways to move the ball down the field. The name of the game in Conference USA is not defense. There's not a ton of teams in the Conference USA that's going to play stifling defense in between the numbers. Honestly, there's probably a decent amount of teams in Conference USA that probably couldn't do what Jacksonville State did last night from a defensive standpoint for the first quarter and a half in defending the run in between the churches. And I still think what's most impressive, and I haven't touched on this yet, but what's most impressive about UAB's performance yesterday was how Tyler Johnston III looked as a quarterback. On yesterday's show, I said that UAB's chances at repeating as conference usa champions back to back it's going to go through the arm of tyler johnston the third and yesterday i couldn't find a fault in his performance you don't just throw for 320 yards on 17 completions he was 17 for 21 i don't think he really made any poor decisions that i could point out two touchdowns was averaging 15.2 pass yards per attempt Tyler Johnston looked really good out there, super accurate on his deep ball throws, anything beyond 20 yards. He was accurate, putting the ball there for his receivers. First couple of drives, his receivers really didn't do him any favors. We're dropping some of those passes. I couldn't find any faults with Tyler Johnston the third last night. I think everything that you saw from UAB yesterday points to UAB very much so being one of I think you can expect UAB to be in the mix for them to repeat and Johnston you know his issue and we talked about this on yesterday's show it was decision making over his first two seasons as a freshman and a sophomore last season seven touchdowns to one interception and now you see in a performance against Jack State like you mentioned 320 yards two touchdowns 17 of 21 it seems like he has turned the corner around and again it's only one game into the season but it seems like he 
has become a, a pretty good passer. And mechanically, you know, you don't, when you watch him on film, when you watch him last night, you don't like to see a quarterback kind of shoveling it, kind of shot putting it with their shoulder. But if it ain't broke, I mean, the. It, the, the deep ball works. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I also want to point out, Dylan Hopkins, the backup quarterback, that touchdown pass that he threw late in the game, <laughs> that was a beautiful throw yeah. and catch. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. Real quick, I want to get to a text here, 334-564-1840. Looking at Harson's results from the past three years, okay? So every single game under Harson for the past three seasons, scoring-wise, Harson got to 30 points nine times, 40 points eight times, 50 points seven times, and 60 points one time. Doesn't seem to pl- uh, does not seem to play down to inferior competition like recent Auburn teams. No breaks for this game. Auburn 56, Akron 6, and that's a text from Rich. I'm here for it. Let's break it on. Pile it on. I, it's a buy game. At least they get paid, you know. I'm going to stick to that, I, and I want to see him throw the football. It's no disrespect. Auburn's got things to work on. And look, there's worse things in the world, I think, than hurting Akron's feelings. You know, like just put it on. Yeah, I really like that stat talking about how many times uh, Harson has, you know, put his foot on the gas and actually made sure that they went out there and they beat a team. Yeah, all gas, no brakes. I love it. Absolutely. Of course, looking at Boise State, they were also. You take a look at how much they threw the ball. Average 242 pass yards per game last year. 262 back in 2019. 292 back in 2018. They're not shy about throwing the football. 263 before that in 2017. 298 in 2016. 310 in 2015. And the 280 in 2014. They like to throw the football. That's a big part of the scheme. And let's hope that they do. And hey, it's something else that Auburn fans, you know, it's we've kind of it's like beating a dead horse at this point talking about the tight end position. If Auburn's going to be throwing the ball around and getting all these different receivers involved and trying to figure out, you know, the hierarchy there outside of maybe Demetrius Robertson and Javaris Johnson, the tight ends are going to be able to get involved at some point. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We are welcoming your predictions for Saturday's Auburn season opener against Akron. Text us, call us, whatever is on your mind. We'll be back with more of On the Line when we come back. Name one thing to watch in tonight's Thursday night matchups. Hey everybody, this is Noah Gardner with your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. And this week's is Auburn High School's Carson Yancey. The senior quarterback posted five tackles, two pass breakups, and a pivotal interception to lead Auburn to the 16-14 win over rival Opelika. The Tigers are 2-0 on the year with the region opener against Prattville on the road this Friday. Carson Yancey, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster fiber internet. Point-broadband.com. Tzatziki's has your sports night covered. Enjoy the game from the comfort of home because Tzatziki's offers third-party delivery and online ordering for curbside or in-store pickup. Tasty lamb gyros, beef tenderloin, chicken, salmon, Greek salad. Treat yourself like an athlete. Give your body the good stuff. Great food is waiting to be prepared for you at Tzatziki's in Auburn, Opelika, and by the shops at East Chase and Montgomery. Live the good life. Tzatziki's.com. Mark Trailer, owner of Arbor Springs Health and Rehab Center. 
fortunately, we've just been allowed by the uh, CDC to open up our doors and have communal dining and get people back being able to hug on each other and see each other if you've had your shots and your vaccinations. In our Opelika facility, I think we have just three patients that have come in that haven't had their shots, and that's just a simple component of they're just brand new and we are getting them their shots. So that older generation has embraced these vaccines. We're doing a great job with our employees, getting them vaccinated. We're not quite where we want to be, but we're able to keep people that have all been vaccinated in kind of one area, and we're not having to wear the mask. We're not having to do all the stuff that you've been having to do for the last year because, um, you know, everybody's safe according to the CDC. So that's really worked out well for us. Arbor Springs Health and Rehab Center in Opelika at 1910 Pepperell Parkway next to EAMC. Our phone number is 749-1471. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl at ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Or if you're listening on demand to the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You never have to miss a show. You can always catch us on demand. Also find us on station websites, ESPNAU.com, FoxSports983.com as well. Continuing on in hour number one here. Name one thing to watch in tonight's matchups. I've got three here, three good matchups tonight that people should be paying attention to. First, Boise State at UCF, 6 p.m. ESPN. Before we get to one thing to watch in tonight's matchups, intern Belichick, one of the first things he said to me when he came into the office today, he said this. He said, man, I'm not looking forward to Twitter tonight. I said, why? And he responded with, well, Boise State at UCF play tonight. And... And I was like, yeah, there's, there's probably going to be a lot of vitriol, a lot of a lot of hatred on the timeline tonight, and a lot of people paying attention to that UCF-Boise State game. Lance, what is the rooting interest for tonight's UCF-Boise State game? Well, for me, I think as far as, like, you know, Auburn fans and the family, like, who they're going to be pulling for, I'm going to be rooting for Boise State because, obviously, Brian Harson and... You know, it, I, I I like I like I like Boise State a lot more than UCF based on what happened in the 2017 Peach Bowl. I won't necessarily be pulling against UCF though because I mean Gus Malzahn. I, I don't I don't hate the guy, but as far as you rooting interest, you know, I feel like there's a lot of Auburn fans that could kind of flip flop back and forth between pulling for the the Knights or pulling for uh, the Broncos. But for me, I'm going to be pulling for Boise State. Now, do I think they win? That's another question. Well, now let's get into it then. One thing to watch in tonight's matchup, that first game here to take a look at, Boise State at UCF, 6 p.m. ESPN. Yeah, I think one thing for me to look at is Dillian Gabriel under Gus Malzahn. Obviously, Gus Malzahn has done pretty well uh, at Auburn with transfer quarterbacks or kids that he did not recruit to play as freshmen. Um, now he's coming into a UCF program with Dillian Gabriel, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country, a lefty, 32 touchdowns to four interceptions last season, over 3,500 yards passing, led one of the nation's best offenses. It's going to be interesting to see what Gus Malzahn gets gets Dillian Gabriel to uh, do that he didn't do last season. Are we going to see a statistical regression from Dillian Gabriel? Are we going to see them run the ball more effectively? How does Gabriel Gabriel handle this offense under Gus Malzahn, I think is what I'm going to be watching. I want to see if Gus Malzahn is different. Of course, he's grayed rather quickly in going to Orlando. I know a lot of people have seen videos and pictures of Gus Malzahn now, and I think he recently got like a new golf cart 
that's got like snakeskin backs and stuff like that. Christy Malzahn wheeled it out to him. I saw that video yesterday as well. But my question is, is Gus different? He had some pep in his step in times at Auburn. You remember after he beats Georgia back in 2017 and, you know, the, the, the story that he said at midfield, you know, we'll see you in the SEC championship game when he's talking to Kirby Smart, right? And it's like there, there were times during Gus Malzahn's stretch at Auburn where there was a lot of confidence, a lot of, a lot of excitement around him and that he could, you could really see that he was enjoying what he was doing. But then there were other times where you could see there was a lot of stress inside the program and that maybe he wasn't as you know wasn't as vibrant as he was when Auburn was at their peak and that that's to be expected when you know things are going well you know you're gonna you're gonna have a different demeanor when things aren't going well but I'm curious to see how different he is you know he's done some new things he's tried out some new things you see billboards going up in Gainesville not that far from University of Florida trying to you know say that this is UCF state that you know this is you know UCF is a prime institution to go and play football at in Florida and you know you see what they did in the spring with them putting you know Twitter handles Instagram handles whatever it may be on the backs of their uniforms he's tried some new things and some of it's cringy like the social media handles on the back of their uniforms or whatnot yeah it was a foul that is and then, and then some of it's kind of like antagonistic like the billboards you know kind of gimmicky like we've come to expect out of the UCF program he seems to have fit in really nicely the U, the UCF fan base has welcomed him welcomed him welcomed him in with just open arms and have just yeah like they are he is one of their own it seems you know I'm curious to see you know what his demeanor is like what is play calling like like is the play calling going to be different he's got he's got a unique weapon at quarterback with Dylan Gabriel is he going to waste him by boxing him into the system that we saw at Auburn over the last few seasons, is Malzahn different? And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm expecting it to be like night and day difference tonight for Malzahn. I'm expecting a completely different Gus Malzahn this evening against Boise State. No bubble screens. I mean, there will be screens, and 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 it would be remiss of us to say that Josh Heupel wasn't running screens right. at UCF the last couple of years. Like, and and maybe part of why I'm expecting a big difference is American Athletic Conference football. I mean. Gus Malzahn went from an AP class down to down to a much easier class, right? The degree of difficulty, he has gone from all pro to rookie now, I, I think. And the American Athletic Conference still has some quality teams in it. But and of course tonight he's playing a team off quality that maybe isn't in the American Athletic Conference in Boise State. But the the degree of difficulty still has dropped from playing SEC opponents every week or from opening a season against Oregon or opening a season against Washington. That has dropped now to now playing Boise State or to playing you know Cincinnati or someone else where the quality's not as much from top to bottom on a roster I'm expecting his system to work like I, I'm expecting it to be fun tonight for UCF you would expect UCF fans to be extremely excited heading into this season and they I think they will be extremely excited after this game because I feel like uh, Gus Malzahn compared to Josh Heupel, you know, obviously we haven't seen what Heupel's done at Tennessee yet, but I would feel like a guy that's beaten Alabama a couple of times, getting him for your group of five program, that's a, that's a pretty good upgrade. We'll even wheel it back a little bit. Malzahn did not lose those season openers, man. He prepared very well, even in 2015, and what a disaster season that was. Even when Auburn was at their worst. Right. He still beat Louisville, you know, even for the ups and downs that Auburn had in 2019 with Bo Nix at quarterback. He still beat Oregon. And then even in 2018, you back it up a second, you look at 2018, 
and he beats Washington, and that was a disastrous year. <laughs> the, a 7-5 and five Auburn team beat the eventual Pac-12 champion. I mean, that's hilarious. Exactly. So, like, even in the years where Auburn was down, he found a way to win those key opening games. He knows how to win these football games, and he's a good game planner for the most part. That was never really fully my issue. It was in-game decision-making, play-calling adjustments that just absolutely killed me with Malzahn at Auburn and, and sometimes you know like why in the world did Auburn always have dud game plans against Georgia I don't know but one thing can be said he typically had a pretty good game plan for an Alabama which is why he was able to go out there and beat Nick Saban three out of eight times yeah absolutely I, I think this game is going to be fun I mean obviously Boise State breaking in a new head coach because Harson has left and gone to Auburn Hank Bachmeyer a uh, pretty good quarterback. Uh, if you've not heard his name, if you didn't see him beat Florida State a couple of seasons ago, it's, he's a pretty good quarterback. It's still a pretty good program. It'll be interesting to see if they can carry over the success that they uh, they had with Harson. Moving to the next game here on our list, naming one thing to watch in tonight's matchups. These are not our picks. We will do those in hour number two, but what is one thing we will be watching in these games tonight? Number four, Ohio State at Minnesota, 7 p.m. on Fox. Yeah, I wish I could go with two things here because I think there are two really important things to look at, and they, they're both revolving around Ohio State. I'm going to go C.J. Stroud, obviously first-year quarterback at Ohio State. How does he operate this offense? How does, how does Ohio State look with him as the quarterback on the road against Minnesota? and a late game on Fox it's going to be interesting to see how he handles handles that pressure and you I think the other thing you have to look at I, I do want to I do want to say too is how does this Ohio State secondary look against Minnesota and an experienced quarterback in Tanner Morgan I think those are the two things you have to look at last year Morgan struggled a bit lost some of those receivers you know that he had the prior year that torched Auburn last year Tanner Morgan just the seven TDs to five interceptions just 1,374 passing yards 57.9 completion percentage I knew you would say CJ Stroud CJ Stroud was actually the first thing that I wrote on my notes for today as well and of course I will be paying attention to CJ Stroud but let's flip the coin I'll give something else for somebody to watch today is Minnesota back or were they just a flash in the pan in 2019 is pj fleck going to write this ship again or is a downward tra- trajectory going to settle in with the golden gophers can tanner morgan get back to playing like he did in 2019 he still got chris altman bell back of course rashad bateman was on this team a year ago they lose their top receiver in rashad bateman i've got an excellent running game in Ra- muhammad ibrahim is how his name is pronounced 5.4 yards per carry last year 15 touchdowns over a thousand rushing yards they've got the rushing attack can they get the passing attack back on can they get it back on track and playing this Ohio State secondary there's going to be room for them to do that because I know you're you're down on them a bit they were underwhelming last year can is Minnesota back this year are they competitive in this football game and can they be a bowl team yet again in the Big Ten it's going to be a tough ask because you again although I yes Ohio State I'm not very high on this defense and I'm really not high on that secondary they're still incredibly talented and they recruit better than almost anybody in the entire country so they're going to be talented and I think they will bounce back somewhat but it's going to be it's a good test it's a good test for this team on the road against a middle of a pack big big 12 team 
Taking a look at our last matchup here, Bowling Green at Tennessee, 7 p.m. SEC Network. What are you looking at? I want to refresh. I said Big 12, I mean Big 10. I'm looking at Tennessee and obviously Josh Heupel with this new offense, I think is what you have to look at with new quarterback Joe Milton. Going to be exciting to see, you know, what this this new offense looks like. Obviously, they've got a lot of new fresh faces. Is it going to be as explosive and as fun as these receivers are saying that, that it will be? Does it replicate anything like we saw at UCF? That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up at 3 p.m. We'll have Making Headlines. Also speak with Eric Speakman, Opelika football head coach, as the Bulldogs take on Sydney Lanier tonight in Montgomery. We'll have Saturday selections, Thursday edition as well. Back with more of On the Line. You are On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one in the books. If you missed any of it, if you ever missed a show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We're going to head to the phone lines now. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. And Terry is on the line with us. Terry, it's been a little bit. Hope you've been doing well. Doing great, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing really well. Happy football. That's right. Um, was it one of you guys, was it Lance talking about how I think Gus Malzahn is going to do a Central Florida? I can assure you he'll have a stupendous year. What Gus Malzahn will do is he'll have a great year, and then he'll start infiltrating his players to, as opposed to what he wants, as opposed to what he needs, and he'll screw it all up. <laughs> that, and, hey, and then that in 2025-26, we'll be talking about that job opening. That's very possible. I, that's I what, think that's things are going to work. Auburn, guys, and he'll throw in a good year, like 17 in there somewhere. But he'll raise expectations really high by having a good year, and then he'll, he'll mess it all up. Part of me because, thinks, though, that the, the recruiting's not going to be as big of a deal because of the level of play that he's at, though. Like, like he may not be a very good SEC head coach. I, I think he was a, a, a decent, you know, above-average head coach. There was, you know, eight, eight win seasons every year is not where we want it to be, obviously, at Auburn. But, of course, like, I don't think he was, you know, abysmal. I think there's a lot worse than Gus Malzahn that you could go after. But I think I he can work no, in the agree, A's. The eight wins is pretty good, but the problem was the losses, how ugly some of them were. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was the, that, it was the lack of competition against the best teams in the country. Right. That, that's the problem myself and other people had with him, quite honestly. So I wouldn't be surprised if he don't put up a, just a magnificent year. Huge numbers, huge year. Yeah. And, and like I said, he'll, 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 he'll get in year two, and he'll go down a little bit in year three. By the time year three gets here, and, and he's starting to infiltrate his players and his, his style, and you'll see the, the, what happened at Auburn. You'll see a guy that's more obsessed with what he wants and what he needs when he brings in guys like Stenham or Knicks. I still think, though, so, that that, that – the recruiting, though, I'm still not that worried about with him. Like, I think he could do that at, at UCF, and he probably will. Like, he's going to bring in players. Every coach is going to bring in players that, you know, they want. They have a certain idea, a certain type of player that they want to bring in. I just don't think it's going to be that big of a deal at UCF because the level of competition around him 
he's going to recruit better than everybody else. And I don't you think recruiting is a point, big no, problem. I, I, and I agree with it, but I still think Gus Malzahn, his ego gets in the way, and he's more obsessed with what he wants and what he needs. Because you retired, we're talking about the Louisville game. Just imagine how good Auburn's offense would have been if he'd went out and got uh, Lamar Jackson. That is, yeah, I, that haunts me so often because Lamar I mean, Jackson it, it, wanted there's to no come telling to the numbers they would have put up. Yeah. And Lamar he was, wanted he was, to come over. He was over. more in love with what he wanted than what he needed. And I keep saying that, but it's keep, it bears repeating because it's the truth. You got a prediction for this Saturday, Auburn Akron? You got a score oh, prediction? I, I, Akron's terrible. They're one of the worst teams ever. I mean, Auburn. I see Auburn hanging fifty plus on them. And and um, quite honestly, I'd be surprised if Akron scored. If they do, it'll be late. Do they hit two hundred uh, total yards, Akron? Um, uh, no. Yeah, Not I don't think so. Defense, no. I, I I don't I, I gave them a little bit more than two hundred, but I, I it will be close. Like that that is a perfect over under two hundred. Yeah, they get two hundred to be a backdoor two hundred. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll backdoor them with the, with Auburn's walk ons and whatever's in the fourth quarter. So that that I mean, if you know, they won't get over you know one twenty five with the starters in there. Sure, no, I agree with no, that. They I may not get over a hundred with the starters. Right, right. Well, I was I was trying to be a little optimistic, but hundred hundred's a good choice. I I take that. I don't think they're. I mean, they're a terrible. They're a terrible football team. Uh, yeah. I don't understand why that team got rid of a uh, Terry Bowden. I mean, I, I never was a Terry Bowden fan, but the guy could coach better than what they got now. And he got them to a bowl game. I actually think they, they may have like gone Nebraska to their conference fans title. Frank Solich. Yeah, they may have even actually gotten to a conference title game with Terry Bowden. I, I may be misremembering, but I, I think they may have the year that they went. He may have seven and seven was the yeah. year that yeah they Ooh. made it to their their title game. Now, do you, now do you guys think uh, Nebraska would take Frank Solich and nine wins right now? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, yeah exactly. they'd be missing Bo Pelini I mean, right now. They got obsessed with what they wanted, and and it just it just it it's backfired on them, and they've they struggled. Their next coach is sitting at Liberty University right now. I sincerely believe that. I don't believe Greg Sankey's going to allow Hugh Freeze back in the Southeastern Conference. Hugh Freeze to Nebraska is not something that I've considered, but that seems like a a magical fit. Yeah, I mean he's a guy that could bring in the style and track the style of players. That, that Nebraska needs, and he'd bring in some hookers, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Terry, um, we appreciate it. All right. All right one, one last thing here, guys. Uh, uh, Brett always seems to call behind me whenever I call in and bring up some stat. Well, Bo Nix's starting record, what, what is his starting record, guys? I know we don't have a bowl win. Uh, he hasn't missed a game yet as a starter, so let's see. He went 9-4, and four, and then he went uh, – last year he went 6-5. and 15-9? So so, yeah, right? something like that. Yeah, 15, now that, that's real outstanding, isn't it? That's great. And no bowl wins, that's really <laughs> good. So we're going to see what he does this year. We're going to see what happens for all the criticism I've taken over the years about Bo Nix. And, and like I said, do you think really? Do you guys really think, I don't think Brian Harson will put it within a minute. And his daddy, Gus Malzahn, would. I think he's so, going to be successful this year. Um, that may we'll be see. the optimism in me, but I think, I think Bo's going to be successful this sure. year. We'll see. You guys take care. You too, Terry. That was Terry on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Big reason why I think Bo's going to be successful this year isn't because necessarily of, of Bo next, because, you know, not saying that he doesn't have the talent. He does have the talent, but I'm, I'm my optimism is placed in these two coaches that are watching him and tweaking him and making him a better quarterback. And Brian Horson and Mike Bobo, they have a great track record. I went through in the first hour looking at passing yards per game at Boise State. They rarely ever were below 260, and a lot of times they were hovering around 280 and north of 280 per game at Boise State. They even had one year where they averaged more than 300 pass yards per game. They've had great quarterbacks year in and year out. And then on top of that, go back to Bobo's track record. I mean, he worked with the Matthew Staffords. He worked with the Aaron Murrays. He had good quarterbacks at Georgia. Now, 
Did things go nightmarish when he went to Colorado State and, and, and South Carolina? Yes, but I'm not going to fault him for his stint as a head coach, and I'm not going to fault him certainly for last year at South Carolina because there's nothing you could do to plug all the holes that were in that ship and it sinking. Yeah, so, some some guys work better as coordinators. It's, it's definitely, I feel like it's true in Bobo's case. Sure. Let's get to our weekly or daily segment, I should say, Making Headlines. Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher received a four-year contract extension that increases his annual salary to more than $9 million. Talked about that a little bit yesterday, but that now announced by the school. Once again, Jimbo Fisher received a four-year contract extension, going to take him through 2031, increases his annual salary to now more than $9 million dollars and yeah they made the decision and it's something that we talked about like you said a little bit on yesterday's show and I just don't know whether or not this was needed but at the same time you look at the the trajectory of the SEC you look you look down the road Nick Saban leaving the conference at some point we would hope within the next decade to kind of open up things and kind of kind of make things competitive in Texas A&M it kind of feels like they're holding out right with this kind of extension it fe- at least it feels like it to me they believe in them it's an investment they believe that A&M can compete at the highest level with Alabama and then when Nick Saban retires which you, you have an expiration date on that. You know at the end of his contract, like that's going to be it. Because it, when he signed this extension back this offseason, Nick Saban said that it would run through to his retirement, right? And, and to him at the end of his coaching career. So you've got like, what, it was eight years, I think, for Nick Saban. So you're running him through the end of this decade just about. And that is about where Jimbo Fisher's is, is landing as well, or a little bit beyond that. My thing is, and I don't know if it was necessary from the standpoint of who is gunning after Jimbo Fisher at this point. And is that job really going to lure him away from Texas A&M? No. And, And can teams really afford Jimbo Fisher at his other contract that they gave him? The, the team that you threw out yesterday, USC, like, sure, if somebody threw money at me and I was playing at Texas A&M. It doesn't also, feel like him, Exactly. Though. Like you said, nothing about Jimbo Fisher screams Los Angeles. You said that yesterday. I think that is exactly right. But it would have to be. Nothing about USC says I'm going to go hire Jimbo Fisher. It would have to be something special. It'd have to be something special. It, it could be uh, Nick Saban retiring and Jimbo going to coach at alabama <laughs> i'd welcome that honestly yeah bring, i'd welcome that bring that on dude if that, that's that's case, better than the alternative of dabo sweeney i would welcome that if that's our that's our new addition we should start doing a uh who could replace nick yeah, saban re- and yeah. have three te- have three co- cut, yeah, yeah. <laughs> coach coordinator fire for specifically for alabama second headline here in our making headlines segment UAB thumps Jacksonville State yesterday, 31-0. Very impressive display from the Blazers once they got things going. And I just want to point out, all three of us picked the game correctly, and we picked them to cover, got that right. Can't say that I've picked a team to cover and been right too many times in my life. Jacksonville State had the football, seven minutes left, fourth quarter. It was 24-0, and I texted (laughs) all y'all. I was like, I can't wait for the first big-time bad beat of the college football season for Jacksonville State to put together like a five-minute drive here because all they were doing was throwing two-yard passes. It takes them five minutes to get down the field, score, and then all of a sudden it's a 16-point ball game after they get a two-point conversion. Belichick, what you got? Actually, the first bad beat of the year was uh, last week, Illinois-Nebraska, when the uh, I think it was the Nebraska kicker missed the extra point, and the cover was, uh, was around that, and I think they missed it by one point because of that. Oh, that's tough. 
Oh, kind of stuff. man. What do you mean cover? Because uh, wasn't Nebraska favored in that ball game? Do you, do you mean like not not like the spread, but like the 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 total? Like the over under? The uh, yeah. the total? Yeah, over under. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and they just missed bad. it. Just missed it by one. That's tough. That's tough. That's hilarious. That man. is absolutely hilarious. Still, I thought that was going to happen last night. It didn't. UAB held off. Very impressed with both sides of the football for UAB. Moving to our third headline here Illinois quarterback Brandon Peters returned to practice for the fighting Illini I believe I I, I don't want to say he's it it sounds like he's doubtful and and the SBN article I was reading earlier today said he is not likely to return for Saturday's game against UTSA and don't sleep on the roadrunners either that is a good conference USA team that's what I was about to say is like this could be an issue no you're good it could be an issue because like you just said they are a really good football team sincere McCormick is one of the top 25 running backs in the entire country, at least in my Maybe mind. Maybe even top 15, top 10. Frank Harris is a pretty darn good quarterback. I mean, that this this team, do not sleep on them. This the Illinois could run into a couple of issues, but as long as they've got my boy Arthur Stokowski, the former Rutgers quarterback at the helm, they're going to be Isn't it Sitkowski? Sitkowski. Sorry, I'm misreading it. No, yeah, yeah, it's Sitkowski. Sorry, I, I did and, and, it. And did you say Arthur? Because he's missing the H there, too. Isn't it Arthur What is going Sitkowski? on in this name, bro? Man, I'm just skimming over. It's, wow, beautiful name there. See, uh, yeah, last season uh, at Rutgers, three touchdowns, no picks. Before that, one touchdown, two interceptions in 2019. And then in 2018, a beautiful four touchdowns to 18 interceptions. But I mean, he was like 12 for 15, though, for like 120 yards or was, somewhere around that in this game against Nebraska. Yeah, as long as you've got my boy Ar- Ar- Arthur, not not Arthur, <laughs> geez, wow, in this game, you know, he's gonna, they're going to be just fine. King Arthur. <laughs> what kind of name is that, bro? Brutes. <laughs> yeah, but good sign for Illinois because there, there's a lot of people out there that see an NFL-type arm. Not necessarily an NFL-type quarterback, but an NFL-type arm. He's, he's got a very nice throwing motion. He's got a big arm. He's got great arm strength, the ability to fit the ball in tight windows. Now is the decision-making there and all that. That That's to be... That's to be questioned, but it's a good sign to see Brandon Peters get back out there. It was his non-throwing shoulder that got hurt in that game against Nebraska. But I'll, I'll say this, Brandon Peters back. I don't know if Sitkowski can get him to a bowl game. I think Peters could get him to a bowl game. You're one here for Bielema. I was so impressed with the front seven on defense for Illinois, but on top of that, I thought the O-line play was improved from what we've seen out of Illinois recently. It wasn't where I expected it to be at, considering their experience and the hype that was revolving around that unit. I mean, Phil Steele's got him as the fourth-best O-line in the Big Ten, so I was expecting a little bit better than what I saw, but equally, I was impressed with Nebraska's front seven in terms of their ability to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. That was a step above what we have seen traditionally out of Nebraska over the last couple of years. You don't have faith in my boy, Arthur? I think he's fine. I just don't know if he can get him six wins. Sure. That's tough. That's tough to do. It is tough. Uh, yeah, it is tough. Last headline here, Atlanta lost its third game in a row. Take a look at the NL East race in a baseball. Division lead now drops to just two games. Phillies didn't play yesterday. So that game was postponed to today. If the Phillies were to win today, and let's say the Braves weren't to play, I mean, it would drop down to even a game and a half here. So the Braves beginning a series with the Rockies tonight on the road i believe it's a four game series with the rockies things are getting rocky for the braves here in the division yeah for sure and you know they, all three games i feel like atlanta lost not necessarily in heartbreaking fashion but it was games that atlanta they, they were in the game they lost all three games in this series by a combined score of four runs yeah and i believe they were leading in the eighth last night 
Like I believe they were they were leading two games ago as well. Yeah, so it's it, it was a really rough series for the Braves and you you know need you, to win tonight. You talk about the Giants preparing Atlanta for postseason play. If you can't go and be at least win one game against the Dodgers on the road. I mean that's that's a tough look, and and to lose Albies, I think he's going to be coming back here in the next few games. It's tough. But you took two out of three. On the flip side, you took two out of three against the Giants. So like you know they're capable, right? But the Dodgers played really well in this series. Tonight's matchup on the mound for the Braves and the Rockies. This game at seven forty. So you get away from those nine ten first pitches now. Tonight's pitching matchup: Tuki Toussaint against Chichi Gonzalez. Great name. Uh, you know the there is a little bit of a difference here in the ERAs Toussaint's been playing pretty well 3.6 ERA Gonzalez is at 6.08 but with that being said Rockies this year slightly higher team average they're playing in their home ballpark the ball seems to pop in Colorado right and it, and it can carry a long way of course so I'm not just because there's about a three or a two and a half difference in ERA there between Tucson and Gonzalez. I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion that this couldn't turn into a rather offensive ball game between these two clubs. Absolutely. And, and but again, Atlanta is going to have to start to build that momentum back up because the lead is dwindling away. They need they need their guys to step up. Let's head to the phone lines yet again here. Number to call 334-321-1390 in our text line at 334-564-1840. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, what's up? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing real well. Hey, Just guys. ready for Saturday. Yeah, right on. Um, have you guys talked about Cam Newton and what's going on with him? We have. We talked a little bit earlier this week when he got cut and uh, just kind of hard to see that for the former Auburn QB. I wonder what happens for him next because I he said this uh, about you know a couple months ago I think back in April or May he said that there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than him and I agree with him I don't think that there are 32 quarterbacks better than him I think there are a couple places that he you know honestly should be a starter at I don't know why you know teams wouldn't take an interest in him for that but uh it kind of looks like his career is on the precipice you know I y'all remember a while back I was talking to you about Matt Jones yep and the highs him not winning the Heisman over the other guy um you know what's going on with matt jones right now holds a lot of weight to what i said i mean uh the receiver can't catch the ball if it's not there yep and uh matt jones to me i said this way back when when he was playing with alabama he had the same mechanics as tom brady and, and I think New England noticed that, and that's the reason why they drafted him. And uh, he is, to, to me, I, I tell you, he's a young Tom Brady. As a matter of fact, I think he's better than Tom Brady was when he first came in the NFL. I got to see him play first, but I, you may be right. You may very well be right. Well, yeah, we got to see Auburn play first. Yeah, too. that's true. That's true. I like the prediction there. I mean, Tom Brady came in. Uh, of course, he, he did what he did and led the Patriots to, to Super Bowls right out there out of the gates would be the reason why he took over for Drew Bledsoe. But I, I'll say, yeah, I mean, he's coming in with a lot more fanfare than Tom Brady did entering the league. I mean, there's a big difference between a sixth or a seventh round pick and then a first round pick, you know. So, I, I you know, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Now, will, he, will his career go to that trajectory? Probably not. But if the Pats can win a, a Super Bowl or two with Mac Jones, I think that makes him a successful draft pick. Well, you think maybe uh, Cam's problem is he, he's injury prone? 
Cam, yes, but on, on top of that, like it, it's regressed his game now. Like you can see the effect that it's taken on his throwing ability. I still think he can run with with the best of them. I still think he's one of the best running quarterbacks in the game still. But there are very few teams that are looking for that, especially as a for a backup. I, I'm really curious if, especially with the protocol that he's got to go through, because I think he's got to take a, another like five days away from the team before he can actually join the team when they sign him based on the protocol that they've got I'm curious to see like if anybody's going to even attempt to sign him because there was reports out earlier that the Cowboys aren't even interested in him as a backup and and talk about guys getting hurt and missing some time Dak Prescott has been in that boat a little bit yeah hey um do you know who uh is is Stidham the backup Stidham's hurt yeah, Stidham, uh, Stidham got hurt earlier uh, in August, I think. And, and if, if it's not Stidham, it's Brian Hoyer. Yeah. Okay. All right, All right, guys. I'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, Spectre. We'll talk to you tomorrow. That was Spectre on the line with us here today. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. During the break here, I'm going to go look up what's going on with uh, – with Jared Stidham because yeah I mean he's listed as out but I want to know for how long because uh for some reason I have vague memory that I may be gone for the entire season you've got it no real quick I, before we go to break I want to get to a headline that we didn't discuss the Big 12 currently currently uh looking at some different options and I just want to throw this out there just want to let you know that you were right we talked about this a little before a little bit before the show started according to the athletic BYU UCF Cincinnati and Houston are considered the the leading contenders uh, to potentially be added to the Big 12. Just wanted to throw it out there that you were right about the the BYU, the UCF selection. That's right. That is right. You know, and I'm I'm hoping the Big 12 can survive. I I, I want I do not want to see that league go away. I did find the thing about Jared Stidham here on ESPN.com right now. Says he's inactive for the first six weeks of the season. Something to do with his back and things going on with him there. So missing some missing some time there um haven't seen anything he's he's on the reserve pup list on uh tuesday was where he uh was where espn reports that he was moved to so not cut he's still a part of the patriots organization but cam newton no longer so there's at least still some auburn representation there let's take a quick break here when we come back we take a look at that headline that you just mentioned i do want to go and dig into the big 12 expansion and trying to survive we'll also have our Saturday selections coming up in just a few moments. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Talked a lot about tonight's college football action. We'll have some picks coming up right here. Saturday selections, Thursday edition. We did our Wednesday edition yesterday. You're five and zero. Sting is five and zero. I am four and one. And before we get to those picks, we got a phone call now. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Bama dog on the line with us. It's been a little bit. Bama dog, how you doing? Yeah, it's been a while. Been a while, gentlemen. The work schedule been changed around, but I'm I'm back with y'all. I'm back with the with the boys. There you go. What's up? Hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to take issue with uh, Specter as far as uh, Matt and uh, with Devontae. You know, he said that, you know, receiver can't get the ball to the quarterback, which is true. But, you know, it's kind of a catch-22 because if that receiver don't catch the ball, then the quarterback don't get credit for a yard. 
on on the flip you know, side too, and I'll add to what you just said. Got to get open for the quarterback to throw it to you. Got to got to get open. And a classic example: he, uh, when Tua threw that pass against Georgia, Devontae got open. He got open, and he caught the ball and won the game, won that championship. Yeah. So you know, it, but but I'm gonna say this now: I, I love Mac Jones now. Absolutely love that love that kid, man. He he is a classic, humble, uh, hardworking guy. I heard Bill Belichick uh, talking on, I guess it was on the radio. He was talking about how to make, how he just picked up the offense, and he's learning from his mistakes. He's coming in early, working hard, making the right reads, and it's it's, more, it's a lot more than just throwing the football. And you got to make the right reads, you got to make the right calls, and you got to have the right judgment. And uh, so it's got to be something going on for them to pick this guy to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, it's very uncharacteristic for Bill Belichick to be putting this faith into a rookie quarterback that's you know only been around for a couple months, and it, that that speaks very highly to where Mac Jones is at in his development. And Inspector did say something to to Mac Jones's credit, you know, said that you know he's probably a lot further along than where Tom Brady was when he entered the league. And I, you know, based on watching the two as college quarterbacks, I would very much so agree with that. Yeah, but you got to look too. Mac had a little bit better. So- supporting cast. better system too i would imagine i mean i I, pro- I don't know who michigan's oc was back then but i'd probably rather play for sark and around those guys too that you're talking about in the offense that that's a true statement but have y'all heard about the, the uh, matt jones the storyboard he drew when he was a kid i did not yeah I, it was, I, had, I, I think he drew it all the playing in in the nfl and starting uh starting quarterback for nfl teams did he say the New England Patriots? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't remember the Patriots part, but uh, I, I, I that, man, that would be something. Yeah. But uh, his 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 whole life story as far as uh, his uh, football career is pretty amazing. You know, cause you know he signed with Alabama when Alabama had Jalen and Tua. Yeah, the Mac Jones decided to come to Alabama. And there was a lot of people wondering whether or not Mac Jones last year, you know, going into that offseason, there were some folks wonder if Mac Jones should even be the starter if they should just kind of skip over him and go to Bryce Young I mean there were a lot of unhappy Alabama fans I mean you, you would know this There's, there were a lot of unhappy yeah, Alabama was, fans with I, him I after that Iron Bowl I wasn't one of them especially after I saw what happened in the Auburn game yeah you know he uh he, he talked he talked about the interception that, that just killed him but they said the old Mac Jones would have hung his head would have been kicking the dirt you know and would have just let that age him up but that's something that he changed to just be able to live and go to the next play. And, you know, this guy, he, he, I think he came out of uh, the bowl school out of Jacksonville. I need to go and look that up. I actually don't know where Mac Jones played ball. Yeah, I, I think it, and, and they didn't throw the ball that much. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I think and, they ran and, some version of a veer or something. And, and Mac Jones really took off. I mean, it was a Joe Burrow-like development curve. I, I, I think most people – like, he Joe Burrowed college football last year so – and there, and, you know, and I'll say this, you know, I may we may talk about Auburn a lot on this show, but Alabama had two players last year that I really enjoyed watching, and I'm going to continue to enjoy watching at the next level. Mac Jones is one of them. Najee Harris is the other one. Unfortunately, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, and I have to root against the Steelers, and I, I, I want to root against the Patriots too. So there's a little bit of a clash there. Hey, I feel your pain, my brother. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> you too, Bama Dog. Have a good weekend. When we come back, we talk with Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman as they get ready for tonight's class 
with the Sydney Lanier Poets. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here, joined by Eric Speakman, Opelika football head coach here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Coach Speakman, how you doing today? Hey, doing good. How you doing? Doing really well, and we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. You guys got a big matchup coming up against Sidney Lanier, but I want to start with the first two weeks of the season with you guys. You're no stranger to a tough football schedule. You pretty much played the same few games to start the season every year, and you've hung with two of the better teams on your schedule here earlier in the season in Callaway and Auburn. What does playing through this gauntlet do to produce a better football team each and every week? Well, you hope that it prepares you for the playoffs down the road. You know, you can never determine you we don't get to determine our region opponents and you know, sometimes those guys are not you know, obviously they're not gonna make the playoffs, some of them. So we always try to pick some teams that we feel like are gonna make deep runs in the playoffs and Callaway won the state championship last year in two A in Georgia and then of course Auburn and Central are two of our bigger rivals and they're always playing for the semifinals in the south in seven A and you know, what it's done for us the last two weeks, even, you know, we've played close games and, you know, the old moral victory kind of stuff. But at some point, we've got to find a, a way to win those games. Of course, you mentioned playing a ton of rivals in your non-region schedule. What does that mindset produce in your football team to go and play a central, to go and play in Auburn? Because a lot of coaches out there, they don't want to challenge themselves like that. But you guys, y'all bring on the best each and every week. Well, what it does is these kids grow up playing them in seventh and eighth grade, ninth grade, and you know, it, it's a, a close, you know, a school that's close by with both of them. And, you know, I think we've played Auburn 97 times now. And uh, I think we're up by one in that series. And I think we played Central close to the same amount of times. And, uh, you know, they, they grow up playing each other. So <clears throat> we're not going to shy away from those games. And it gives us a, a test of, you know, what a, a play in the Spanish Ford or a Sarah Land, the teams that we traditionally see in, in the third and fourth round. Uh, it's teams that are very similar. So, you can find out what your kids are, are going to do in, in games like that. After the first two weeks of this season, what are some of the things you've been pleased with with this group? Probably the biggest things are offensive line. You know, that was our one of our biggest question marks this year. We're starting some kids that have never played a lot of snaps. They played a little bit, but not a lot. And uh, we've got four seniors and a junior that are starting, and you know they're all all real fresh. But uh, the last two games, they've played really well against two really good defensive fronts. On the flip side, what are some areas that you maybe like to see your team improve on? Uh, we've got to play better at quarterback. Uh, we've got to make some better decisions. Uh, you know, the, we've made some some poor decisions that have probably cost us, you know, a chance of winning those games. Obviously, you never put the, the loss on one position, but you know, the possibility of winning you can always put on on certain certain uh, positions on the field. And uh, we've got to do a better job with with those two guys making decisions, J.T. McArdle and Jackson Bates. They played well, but there's been a few things here and there that, that we've just got to do a better job of if we're going to win some big games. Who are some of these guys maybe on your team up through these first two games that you've seen stand out with their play early in the season? Uh, Taylor Love's one of our, our defensive uh, linebackers, and he's played really well, which we expect. He's a, a senior and a three-year starter. Uh, up front, Jerry Knight uh, is a is a big surprise on the defensive line. He's a kid that played a little bit as a sophomore and uh, didn't play a lot last year as a junior. We had a, a you know a lot of kids that we played on the D line that were in front of him last year. Now he stepped into a starting role this year and has done a good job. And then on the offense, our receivers, uh, Grady Bynum had a really good game last week against Auburn, 
and uh, Sean Jones. So, you know, those you know, we expect that out of a couple of those guys because they're seniors. But, you know, Jerry's been, been really good for us, and then Taylor Love. You talk about play on the field, but also there's the leadership aspect of football, and many coaches have said that the best teams are player-led. What have you seen from your group in terms of leadership after these first two weeks? You know, it's it's that way, and it's that way a lot here at Opelika. You know, we've got a big group of seniors. We've got 33 seniors, and uh, they've been most of them have been in our program since seventh grade. So they've grown up looking at the guys above them, and you know they usually just kind of step into that role and, and take it on. And uh, you know we're seeing the same thing from this group. Switching gears to the upcoming schedule, and over the next three weeks, it's region play for Opelika. You guys are getting started this week with Sydney Lanier. Then as you follow at Carver Montgomery, what does this stretch of three games hold for you guys? As maybe the mentality shifts a little bit to these games, they mean something in the standings now. Yeah, yeah, they mean mean a lot. It's really the only games that matter. So we play uh, tonight, actually on Thursday. I'm not sure when this will air, but we play on Thursday against Lanier. And then uh, so we're at the Crampton Bowl for that game. So you get your first road game and first region game all in one. So we'll see how we can go over to Montgomery and play and hopefully come off with a 1-0 start and be you know one of the leaders of the region. And then uh, next week as you fall at home and that's probably looking at the schedule, probably the toughest region game uh, as far as what we know of people coming back from the other teams. And so we'll kind of have a good bearing here in the next couple of weeks with uh, Lanier, then you follow, and then at Carver on another Thursday night. Uh, so we should know kind of where we are uh, as far as a, a 6A playoff team contender after these first three weeks of region play. Of course, with all of the Montgomery teams in your region, you're not a stranger to playing on Thursday nights, but – for, for folks listening that maybe their high school program isn't used to playing on a Thursday night, how does that change things around for preparation for a ball game? The biggest thing it does is obviously you're cut one, one day short of practice, so you really just move everything up a day. Uh, so, for instance, a normal Wednesday practice is now done on Tuesday. Uh, you kind of combine your Monday and Tuesday practices into the day on Monday. Uh, you know, Wednesday becomes Thursday, and then Thursday becomes Friday. So, you really you just move up one day. Uh, you got to squeeze a few things in, but you also have to cut some things out because you're not able to cover as much. So, uh, it really you know brings you back to just some basic stuff on offense and defense, and probably helps you more because then you don't you don't spend a lot of time doing things you probably don't need to do. I've talked to some coaches that they start focusing on the next opponent, maybe even the night after or, or the night of the ball game that they just completed. How quick is that turnaround for preparation for the next week for for the average listener out there that maybe doesn't know everything that goes into coaching? Yeah, what we do around here once we get into the season is uh, a lot of times on the night before the game that you're about to play, you know, once you've got everything in, uh, or even the day of, if you're sitting around, we'll go ahead and start putting stuff into, you know, we use, everybody uses a software called Huddle or uh, Quick Cut now is, is a new one on the on the market. Uh, and all it is is basically video with a spreadsheet that, that sorts the, the plays for you. So we'll start putting in data that week and just kind of way you can get ahead of what your Sunday and uh, Sunday work and some guys do some stuff on Saturday. So just get ahead a little bit, but you're not really game planning. You're just really just putting in the data that way on Sunday you can have everything in and and then you can start your game plan for that following week hitting the road tonight against Sydney Lanier in Montgomery they're 2-0 from film what have you learned about your opponents for this week 
Uh, it's a lot of the same kids we played last year. They were uh, had a lot of sophomores last year, so I, those kids will be juniors this year and uh, a few seniors. Uh, they're much improved from last year. Uh, we think we beat them 42-6 to six maybe last year. But you see uh, some kids that have grown a good bit over the, the course of going from sophomore year to junior year. And, uh, you know, they're 2-0, and so, you know, they're going to have some momentum coming into this game. And, obviously, they're 0-0 in the region right now. And they're in the same boat we are as to wanting to get that 1-0 start. So we need to make sure we go over and play well tonight and hopefully come, come back home tonight with a win. What are the keys to the game for this evening? Uh, it's always turnovers and, and limiting big plays. You know, same same thing every coach will say. Uh, you can't give the ball back to them and lose scoring opportunities. And then uh, on defense, don't give up, you know, explosive plays to where it uh, keeps teams hanging around. You know, always got to keep them, try to get them in third and long, and that way we can bring some, have some fun on bringing some blitzes and some pressures against them. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Good luck tonight. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Y'all have a good weekend. That was Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman joining us here on the Thursday edition of On the Line as Opelika takes on Sydney Lanier tonight in Montgomery. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. About 10 minutes left. Until the end of the Thursday edition of On the Line, and then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from 4 to 6 p.m. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com. And on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. Saturday selections on a Thursday, Lance 5-0. and Intern Sting 5-0. and I am 4-1 for, once again, my folly of predicting Saturday selections hockey went early (laughs) but it is Saturday selections once again my folly of picking Nebraska put us at four and one now let's get into today's four games that we're going to pick Boise State at UCF 6 p.m. ESPN yeah like I mentioned earlier I'll be pulling for Boise State in this matchup now whether or not I think they're going to win is the question I'm going to take UCF to win this game it's at home uh, I think this offense is just going to be a little too much. I feel like there's a lot of experience on this team. You bring back eight starters on offense, only three on defense, but still with a Gus Malzahn type head coach, with the, to bring a guy in that's beaten Alabama two or three different times, you talked about his preparation and opening games earlier. We broke that down. Look, I think UCF's going to put up a lot of points. I think this Boise State is, team is disciplined. I think they're talented. I think Hank Bachmeyer is going to be, a do, be able to do a lot of great things against this UCF defense. They're not very good. Uh, gave up almost 300 yards passing a game last season uh, but I'm going to take UCF to win in what should be a pretty fun game to watch in terms of these offenses going on a lot of former SEC players Brandon Johnson played at Tennessee let's see Marcus Tatum he's an offensive lineman played at Tennessee Big Cat Bryant played at Auburn Marco Domeo played at Auburn Devod Wilson played at Georgia long list of players at UCF that have SEC ties playing Mountain West foe Boise State Gus Malzahn bringing the SEC experience to the American Athletic Conference he's already cleared this level of football before he knows what he's doing this isn't some brand new stage to him the difficulty level dropping from all pro 
to rookie here. Now, uh, maybe not rookie for Boise State, but I'll say, you know, just kind of average, meh, difficulty. It's not that hard moving from playing SEC teams to opening up against Boise State. Gus Malzahn traditionally wins these games. I don't know what it is. Play a season opener against a team of quality. Malzahn's going to have a game plan ready, and he's going to have his team ready to win this ball game. I like UCF in it as well. Yeah, and again, I think offensively, they're both both Boise State and UCF are going to be able to do a lot of good things. It's gonna it's going to be a fun game to watch. Let's see who did Sting pick. He texted me his selections earlier on. He's going UCF as well. So I have a feeling we're going to be sweeping today, pretty much all the same. Moving on to our second game, South Florida at NC State, 6:30 p.m. ACC Network. Yeah, in terms of returning production, USF is one of the. They're at the bottom in terms of returning production all across FBS. NC State, on the other hand, uh, one of the best teams in terms of returning production. Uh, I'm going to pick the uh, the Wolfpack to win this game. They've got two quarterbacks that they could go with tonight. Bam McKnight, their running back. I think they've got a lot of really good pieces on that offense. Defensively, you know, they weren't terrible. They were about average. I think they can be really, really good this season because of that returning production. I'm going to pick NC State to win a solid game. Starting a brand new quarterback tonight, whether it's Cade Fortin or Timmy McLean. Uh, not a whole lot of experience there for USF under center. I like NC State in this one, even if USF had quality experience at quarterback. NC State brings back a lot of talent. They look to try and factor in in the Atlantic Division race this year. Clemson's going to win that in the ACC, of course, but NC State looks to be a pretty good football team as well this upcoming year. I'll take NC State with you. Number four, Ohio State at Minnesota, 7 p.m. Fox. Real quick, I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me where Cade Fortin played college football before uh, USF. I don't know. North Carolina. Really? Yes, sir. Okay. It was right before Mac Brown got there. Anyway, uh, Ohio State, Minnesota. Yeah, I'm going to pick Ohio State to win this game. I just don't know if, if Tanner Morgan and Minnesota are going to be able to to surprise Ohio State because, again, they've got so much talent. Now, do they have, do they have question marks? Sure. C.J. Stroud, we've not seen him play. That defense, not very good. That secondary, not very good at all. But they've got so much talent. They've got so much talent compared to what Minnesota is doing. I just don't know if, you know, obviously Ohio State every year is going to have that game where they get blown out by a team that they shouldn't. I don't think it happens in week one against Minnesota. I think they're going to be able to cause a lot of different problems. I think they will get to Tanner Morgan. Seven touchdowns, five interceptions last season. Do we see him this year make a jump back to where he was a couple of years ago? I don't know. I think this is going, this is going to be one of those games that just solidifies that Minnesota is just an average middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. I think they hang around for a little bit. At the end of the day, though, I think Ohio State ends up covering. Is this beginning of an astronomical climb for C.J. Stroud at quarterback? Does he throw his name into the Heisman conversation after tonight? Because he's got some odds in his favor at this point. There are some folks that are favoring him out there in terms of Heisman odds, and I'm curious if he puts his name in the conversation after tonight or if maybe there are some seeds of doubt with the quarterback position at Ohio State. Not that he plays bad. I think he'll play well, but maybe if we're all wondering, hmm, is there another quarterback on roster? Maybe Quinn Ewers that could end up developing and possibly earning some playing time over C.J. Stroud before it's undone. But all but all indications are that C.J. Stroud has developed into a fantastic quarterback for Ohio State. Seems like Ryan Day has been really impressed with him throughout fall camp. I like Ohio State to win this one, just more talented. Now, with that being said, I think this does match up in a way that Minnesota should be able to score a little bit tonight. I'll probably be a little underwhelmed with Minnesota if they have, you know, if they don't hit, you know, 24 points in tonight's ball game. 
I'll be I'll have some concerns about the Minnesota football team moving forward and some questions about that offense last game to pick here this one's easy maybe we should be picking it against the spread you tell me what the line is Bowling Green at Tennessee 7 p.m SEC Network the line is currently 37 yeah do do you want to take Tennessee to cover that after only scoring 21 points a game last year with this new offense Mm. see that that's the that's the duality of this situation it's a lot faster of an offense but i'll add another statistic in for you bowling green only averaged 11.4 points per game last season playing an all-max schedule i'll say yeah they cover i don't feel great though another interesting note bowling green i think we mentioned it on uh yesterday's show bowling green had the fourth best pass defense in the entire country last season but they also had the worst rush defense in the, the entire country. Over 310 rushing yards allowed per game. Tennessee is probably going to throw the ball around the yard a little bit. Now, I'm, am I saying that's a bad matchup for Tennessee? No, Bowling Green's terrible. But I think this team is going to be able to, to score a lot of points. Tennessee is. One way or another, whether they want to control the ground game with Jabari Small or if they want to throw it around with Joe Milton to some of these receivers, Valus Jones Jr., uh, I think Tennessee is going to be able to get it done, and I think they win in a big type of way. Do they cover 37? I say they – sure, I'll say they they will. Yeah, maybe like 49 to 7 or something like that. Like, yeah. that should be doable, right? Yeah. yeah. If you, Not – if Tennessee struggles tonight, there are some real concerns there as well. Real concerns. Bowling Green's awful. They they are they, – if there was a team to, to pick that is worse than Akron, you could either go UConn – or Bowling Green. Or UMass. Or UMass, right. And I would, yeah, the Bowling Green's not very good. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Three minutes left here in the thursday edition of on the line noah garner and lance Dahl with you number to call 334-321-1390 a text line at 334-564-1840 got time for one more call if somebody wants to squeeze in but before we get out of here let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight now i imagine a lot of folks will be watching football this evening but if that isn't your thing reevaluate yourself but let's take a look at some movie selections (laughs) for tonight goodfellas is on amc at seven also at seven venom is on fx get your laughs in with spy on tnt at seven now let's get to the college football slate it was going to be 5 30 on big 10 network rutgers and temple was postponed to saturday due to hurricane ida going up into the northeast right now such a great matchup at six on espn gus malzahn will coach his first game as head coach at ucf hosting current auburn head coach brian harson's former team boise state 6 30 on acc network usf is at nc state also at 6 30 but on espnu east carolina is at appalachian state several big 10 conference games to open the season number four ohio state takes on minnesota at seven on fox some other big 10 conference games on the weekend as well the sec season kicks off with bowling green at tennessee at seven on sec network and that is what's on tv tonight lance what game are you watching tonight if you could only choose one game tonight what are you watching uh it's so tough between boise state and ucf and ohio state minnesota i'm going to say no love for tennessee you don't want to watch the vols yeah i don't want to well in terms of like quality of game right tennessee's going to blow them out nc state's going to blow out south florida most likely and then boise state ucf ohio state minnesota are the two two games that could potentially be close i'm going to say boise state ucf i'm going to say that that's the game i want to watch i want to see gus malzahn and how this ucf team operates this may be the most fun thursday night 
opening schedule that I can remember. It's been it's been a while since we've had two or three games that are this fun. I really want to watch all three of those games that I just listed: Boise State, UCF, Ohio State, Minnesota, and Bowling Green, Tennessee. I really want to, and and like I want to be able to dig in and watch them for long periods of time without having to bounce around. And a lot of these, like I want to watch it from the onset. Like I want to watch Boise State, UCF from start to finish. But I I, I would like to see, and, and I'll probably flip over for this. I want to really key in on first couple of drives for Tennessee Bowling Green. I want to see how things start. I want to know what these guys look like on a scripted drive. I want, I want to see how they play to open up that ball game against Bowling Green. I want to see what this new look Tennessee team looks like. Or do they struggle? Does Joe Milton actually can he throw? Have, yeah, can he throw? Does he have the arm? That's it for another edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us at 4 p.m. All the way to 6, taking your calls on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.